Good evening. You can sit. You can have a seat. It is wonderful to be in Poland and not to have a translator on the stage. A little bit of heaven. It's an honor to be here. Some of you don't know my wife. Callie, would you stand up? This is Josiah's uh, oldest mother and most beautiful. And we've been married just under 37 years. And so, David, would you wave at these guys? David and I will be speaking at the conference this weekend. David will be sharing on Sunday morning. Uh, we're close, close friends, live near each other, uh, co-labor in many things. And open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read one phrase. We're not even going to read a whole verse. We're going to read one phrase from the Scripture. I asked Josiah, what have you guys been talking about in KDM English? He says, we've been talking about the promises of God. A few weeks ago, you talked about the promise of hope. And then last time, am I right? You spoke about victory, the promise of victory. He used the text, and this is the victory, even our faith. I, I want to share an interesting phrase uh, on this idea of promises. Let's look at one verse in the Bible. Hebrews 11, verse 9. By faith, Abraham lived in the land of promise. Like an alien in a foreign land with Isaac and Jacob, and they were heirs with him of the same promise. About 10 years ago, I was reading this passage, and that phrase just... You know how you can read the same passage a hundred times, and then one day it's like the Lord says, hey, let me talk to you directly from this text. So I'm reading, I'm reading along in, in my daily Bible reading, and this is what stood out. By faith, Abraham lived in the land of promise. And I heard the Lord stop and say, Randy, what land do you live in? Have you learned to live in the land of promise. You see, I've discovered for years I lived my faith not in the land of promise, but in the land of what my eyes saw and what I felt emotionally. I'm going to call that living in the land of problems. You see, either you've discovered the secret of, and, and I don't even like the word living. Actually, in my text, it doesn't say live. It says, by faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise. That word is even deeper. It means he made a conscious choice to put down roots in this place that God said was promise. But most people in the church don't live in the land of promise. They seem to live more often in the land of problems. So let me just compare the two as we get started on this two-hour sermon tonight. <laughs> I have one thing in common with the Apostle Paul. Remember when he preached so long that night that the kids sitting in the window fell asleep? He fell down to the, gr down to the ground. Remember the story? And he died? And Paul said, hey, 10-minute coffee break. And he goes and raises the guy from the dead. He said, okay, time for the meeting. Preaches all night. I can preach so long you die. I promise. I have that spiritual gift. 
I am not very good at raising people from the dead. So I actually set a timer on my watch. Ooh, you got to love timer watch. Excuse me, quit talking back to me. My watch started talking to me. It said, it said, how long do you want the timer? Okay, I reset it. Oh, I hate these watches. And she reset my watch for zero. That was bad. <laughs> Zivi, we are in trouble tonight. <laughs> Go ahead, take your shoes off. We're going to be here a while. What, what's the difference between living in the land of promise and living in the land of problems? When you live in the land of promises, God and what he promised is a greater reality than what you see with your eyes. But when you live in the land of promise, uh, problems, the problems of everyday life seem to dominate you. How do you know which land you live in? Which do you think about the most? How many of your mind just lands on the problems of life and no matter how hard you try, you stay there? When you live in the land of promise, you begin to actually live by and walk by this fantastic Bible word called faith. Faith is actually the ability of the human heart to reach beyond what you see into another world and grab what's there and bring it back here. But when you live in the land of problems, your life doesn't operate by faith. Remember what Paul said, we walk by, not by. No, you're dominated by sight. What you see on the outside is what controls you on the inside. And it may not just be sight, it may be your emotions. It may be you are controlled by what you feel. I had a mentor when I was young in the faith. She taught me this poem. Feelings come, and this will never translate, Anya, just relax. <laughs> feelings come and feelings go. My feelings will deceive me. I live upon the promise of God, for none else is worth believing. When you live in the world, uh, uh, the, the land of promise, literally you begin to tap in to the supernatural acts of God. Even when you can't see it, he's, this is audience participation. I, we will be here a long time if you don't participate. Even when you don't see it, he's, even when you don't feel it, he's, but when you live in the land of being controlled by what you see and what you feel, you limit yourself to your own resources your own willpower, and your own ability. It's a terrible way to live. What does it mean to live in the land of promise? I just love the phrase. It means when God and his promises on the inside of me become a greater reality than what I can see and feel on the outside of me. It's not an outward change. It's an inward reality. The, the Bible is full of examples of this. Just last week, Callie and I were in the Valley of Elah. Anybody know what happened in the Valley of Elah? What happened there? 
David fought Goliath. And I actually went down. There's only one stream there. And I took rocks from the same stream. Well, why was it that Saul and his army saw the giant and they shrunk back in fear and a young 15, 16-year-old boy walked up. He said, don't worry. It's because they lived in the land of what they saw controlled. But there was a greater reality. David could see into another world. And that world changed what happened in the Valley of Elah. Do you remember the story of the 12 spies? 12 guys go into the same land. They all experience the same thing. So the, the scout team is back and they're giving the report. Billy and Johnny say this, the land was awesome. Look at the fruit. Grapes the size of apples. But then he says this, but there are giants in the land. Now listen to what he says. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And so we were in the, they were dominated by what they saw with their eyes. I love Caleb. Caleb steps up. He says, stop, you idiots. He said, there are giants in the land. But we have a promise that God will go with us. And I love how it reads in the actual Hebrew. In many versions, it says, they will be our prey or they will be our, literally in the Hebrew, it reads like this, they will be our lunch. We will eat that which they said will keep us out. This man lived in the land of promise. But let me start here. What are the promises of God? Mark, where's Mark? Come on, Mark. I have a, a beautiful young assistant today, Mark. Mark is single, young lady, so there is hope in Krakow. Just stand right over here, Mark. I'm not single, I'm with Jesus. He's not single, he's with Jesus. We'll talk about what this means afterward. Mark and I will have a talk. What are the promises of God? They are clear cut. Very specific things in the mind and heart of God that already exist that he wants to do for you. Now, when I go into Josiah and Brandy's house, they have a coat rack. Could I see my wonderful coat rack? Here is my coat rack. And Zibi, could I have my jacket right there? Siri, I am not talking to you. Stop. Siri is on a, on a roll. What are the promises of God? They are clear cut. When I go into Josiah and Brandy's house, excuse me, give me a little more uh, <laughs> there. There are clear pegs to hang my coat on that hold my coat up. Do you understand? Thank you. Can stay there for 30 more minutes. <laughs> what are the promises of God? This is my faith. It's that thing that he's placed in each of us. And every promise is like one of these hooks. It is a clear cut, specific place in God to hang my faith. Does that make sense? Let's give Mark a hand. Good job, Mark. 
You can sit down for five minutes. See how I'm doing with time? I have no idea. Why does God give us promises? It's real simple. Because he's good. The Bible says that God is love. Love is not just what Father does. It says he is. He loves because he is. And love places a demand on the lover to take of their resources to offer those things to the one that they love. That's why he's given us promises. I've heard that in this book there are 6,000 promises. I've never counted them. But there's so many different kinds of promises. And how can you know that he'll keep his promise? Because he's a promise keeper. He's a way maker. He's the light of the world. Faithfulness is not just what he does. He is. I love the prayer of Solomon when they're dedicating the temple. He says this. What you spoke with your mouth to my father David, you have fulfilled with your hand. He, he says that three times. That is the father. What he has spoken with his mouth, he will fulfill with his hands. Let me ask you, which land do you live in? Do you live in the land of being dominated? On the end, you're dominated by what you see around you. By, by, when you hear bad news, news, these emotions begin to well up. Or when you hear the news, there's a greater reality that can't be seen called Father and His promises. There are promises of His presence. There's promises of His guidance and His voice in our life. There are promises of victory over sin and the powers of this world. There's promises for his, this incredible word we use, the anointing. What is that? It is the empowering presence of God on your life to powerfully change the world around. There are promises for everything. But I'd love my second lovely assistant to come up. She flies in the morning to Belgium to lead a prayer and spiritual warfare team. I just wanted you to hear her. Callie, what is it? mean for you to live in the land of promise? I feel like I'm being interviewed on a TV station or something. What does it mean to you? <laughs> well, I just want to tell a story. So I believe with all my heart that we are anointed, that we are world changers. And so just to let you know, if you're going to change the world, we've got to walk in faith. And that same verse that Randy was talking about, that we walk in faith, a few verses after that, it says, and God was not ashamed to be their God. It's in, like in 16. It says, and God was not ashamed to be their God. And so all my life, I've been like, God, I want to change the world, and I don't want you to be ashamed to be my God. And so he's been doing that. But here is the biggest thing, is whatever I do, I expect Josiah to go further than me. Because it's not about walking just in faith here. It's walking in faith and then doing it for the next generation and passing it on. So here's what we're going to do. We are world changers, okay? And I'm going to give you an example and then we're going to say some. We're going to make a declaration. This is a simple example. 
well, it's not simple. It's really fun. But I have so many of them. But the one I thought I would tell is the one with uh, Pastor David right here on the front row. He doesn't even know it, I don't think. But back in the day, whenever I think you first had come to Abilene, our city, we were at a different church, and we were in a drought. And so I drove by this house, and we didn't have hardly any money. And I drove by this house, and I felt like the Lord said, buy that house. And I was like, that's awesome because it's an awesome house. And so I went back, told Randy. Randy said, no way. That's just not fitting in the budget. And no. Yeah. And I said, but I think God told me that. And he goes, I don't, I don't care. And so it's like, you're not hearing God. It doesn't happen. <laughs> and so it's like, it's not practical. It's not going to happen. And so he went away. I go in and I find out that Abilene, our city, had been founded on that land, on that land. And so I was like, we've got to get this. I just feel like we need to get this. We're in a drought. We've been in a drought for four years. And we need to get this. And our churches have been praying, and we've been doing a great, we've, I mean, there was a lot of things going on. And But, so Randy comes back and goes, well, maybe we should get that house. I couldn't let it go out of my head. So we go to the bank. They give us the money without us ever selling our other house. It was a miracle. So we get this house, right? You got to get there. We get this house. We're in a very conservative church area. They don't believe in being loud, okay? So everything was very quiet. And then I invite a bunch, or we invite a bunch of people over to worship, just like we were doing. And we're worshiping in our backyard. So our neighbor was outside and he was watering his grass and he kept looking at us like, you know. And so all this was going on and we stood by faith and we claimed the promises of God that whenever we came together and humbled ourselves, and our churches had been doing that, the city had been doing that, but it was like we were a drop in the bucket, that final drop. We were world changers. We were that final drop. And so that happened. We worshiped. We did some other things. My, at that time, six-year-old daughter had had a dream or had a, a thing come to her head that in six weeks that the, there would be a flood and the drought would be broken. We would actually have rain. And so at the time she told me that, I was like, hmm, how am I going to tell her that this is not going to happen? But it did happen. Six weeks to the very day that she said, the drought broke and there was a flood. But right after we had that worship session, right after, the breaking news that night was we can't explain what happened, but the weather system over our city moved away and tomorrow it will begin to rain isn't that amazing and so I believe I believe that wherever we step our foot if we go in faith that we can change the world things can happen tomorrow I go to Belgium it is not a great little nation it's got some issues <laughs> but I am going, and there's been a lot of things happening, and the Lord is moving in Belgium, and we're believing we're going to be that drop. We're going to be that drop that 
tips the bucket. So this is what we're going to do, okay? I used to teach three-year-olds, so you got to work with me, okay? So I am going to say, who are you? And you're going to say, world changers, okay? And then I'm going to say it again, who are you? And you're going to say, world changers. And then I'm going to say, who are you? And you're going to say, world changers, super loud. And then we're going to go, yay, because we are world changers, okay? So this is what you got to do. Just, I'm, okay, I'm a visitor. You have to, you have to work with me. You got to make me feel good. Okay, so everybody's got to stand up. Come on. If you were an American, you've done this at pep rallies in the American football. So are you ready? All right. Who are you? Pretty good. Who are you? Who are you? You can have a seat. Callie came to me and she told me these words. If we buy the property where the city is founded, we have authority to change our city. David and Pastor David and others had led a 40 days of fasting with different churches fast. So we were a part of it. But she felt like she had a promise from the Lord. We had that prayer. It ended at 9 p.m. on Sunday night. The next day on Monday, the breaking news was, we cannot explain it, but around 9 p.m. last night, the weather system that sat over our city for four years moved off to the radar and it will begin to, to rain. He's the way maker. He's the promise keeper. What if I wouldn't have believed? We wouldn't have been the drop that tipped the bucket. What does it mean to live in the land of promise? It means I choose to root myself in a world that I cannot see. In a God who most of the time I cannot feel. I choose to really believe that these promises can hold my faith. And that what he has promised with his mouth, he will fulfill with his hand. It's when that reality becomes a greater reality than this and what I feel here. Do you understand me? How do you make the journey from living here to here? It's really simple. You've got to get some promises. Listen to me. Gang. This book is full of promises. What he has spoken with his mouth, he will do with his hand. But, it, but listen, his promises are not limited to what has been said because he's still the God who says today. Some of his promises are very personal and prophetic to you. We have about 25 things that Zibi, to be honest, they seem crazy that we feel like God's given us as promises. Some came from here, others have not. So it all begins with grabbing hold of some promises. Now listen, and then 
rooting yourself in those promises. What does that mean? It simply means, Father, you have said. Father, you have said. And you've got to become like Jacob, who was wrestling with the angel of the Lord. They were, why was he wrestling? Because years ago at a place called Bethel, about 20 years before, he had been given about 15 or 20 promises, and only half of them had been fulfilled. They wrestle through the night, and the angel of the Lord says, let me go. And he literally grabs his leg and pulls his hip out of its socket. He says, let me go. And listen to what Jacob said. He said, I will not let you go till you bless me. Everything my father promised me, I do not have yet. And I will not let you go until every last promise is fulfilled. And you have to begin to refuse to always believing this or this. The last thing, you have to live in the tension until. It says of Abraham in Romans 4, and Abraham contemplated his own body at 100 years old. And he says, this is what it says, I'm quoting scripture. And he looked at the deadness of Sarah's womb. He wasn't saying, he wasn't denying what he saw. But look at what it says now. But he did not grow weak through unbelief. But he grew strong in faith, considering him who had promised able to do what he had said. You understand, my dad has the gift of healing. Perhaps 10,000 people have been healed. Crazy miracles. The first 100 people dad prayed for, nothing happened. So here's what was happening. In the world of feeling and seeing, it was here. But the promises of God said this. I said, Dad, what was the turning point? He said, I simply choose to believe that the reality that he promised was greater than the reality I was experiencing. He said, I lived in the tension until the first one got healed. And then the second, and then the third. The other day, my dad called me. He said, hey, I'm, my dad's 80. He said, I prayed with an old woman the other day. How old is an old woman when you're 80? <laughs> she only had one lung, and in that, she had the other one removed as a child. She said, he said, she only had one lung, and she had a disease that was killing her. I, I said, what did you do? This is all Dad does. I just read her the promises that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we prayed. I said, did she feel anything? No, and neither did I. But my dad said, but I don't, I don't live in the land of fill anymore. I live in the land of promise, Randy. Said about a week later, she calls me. 
She says, Harvey, that's my dad's name. I feel like a little girl again. He said, go to the doctor. See what he says. The doctor takes an x-ray and he says, oh my gosh, your lung is completely healed. Oh, that's not the best part. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He took an x-ray the other side. He said, who put a lung back in your body? Jesus did that just for fun. What if my dad would have not lived in the tension until? That's how you learn to live in the land of promise. And Father, I pray over my brothers and sisters in this room. I declare we will no longer be 